Voices are exotic dancers enter one by one Make love to all of your orifices in your seduction Hello and welcome to Ear Seduction. I'm your host, Paul Schilling. Today we're going to talk uh, to Chris Shelton again, and this is part two of our Moral Foundation episode, or Moral Landscaping, as I refer to it in the episode. And specifically, we're going to switch over to rights and human rights, and maybe how we ought to think about human rights. And admittedly, this is a topic that I need to do a lot more research on and develop my thoughts on it. It's a part of a moral system that helps us stay on the rails, keeps us from going into the ditch or the gutter or however you want to say it, whatever metaphor you want to use, it's a part of the moral system that needs to be expanded on. And I touch on it here, but admittedly, I don't provide enough of an answer. But it will be a part of my book, uh, The Bible 5.0, Everything You Need to Know to Be Relevant in Modern Society. And so these episodes are, are episodes where I was trying to explore these topics with people in order to understand them better for myself, in order to get feedback from the people that I explore it with. So let's listen in to me and Chris Shelton and our finishing of the discussion of moral landscape. Well, let's so, let's 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 talk about the last and final element. Right. Yeah. Because this brings us right to it. So the, what, a, cool. what a wonderful segue. <laughs> so the idea here is that there are, in fact, human rights that we have yes. agreed upon, not only well, some of us don't agree, but that we do can that we can and should make claim to our human rights. For instance, our right to life, mm-hmm. or for instance, our right to free speech, <laughs> or our rights to bodily autonomy. I often think that bodily autonomy is sort of our pay dirt human right, uh, determining what happens to our, ourselves. Um, and then I also generally think of like right to life as being co-equal or very near co-equal, but potentially would lose out to bodily autonomy. Um, and then also a right to free speech, which is more of an expressive right. I think it's it's maybe secondary in the sense of like your bodily autonomy or, or your right to life, but it would be a way to help ensure that those rights are maintained. Obviously, I mean, speaking is, is the, the the one thing we can do before fighting, right? Before physically imposing expression. I yeah, would, I would yeah. say expression. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so um, that those. I think this moral framework, it sort of works in... I don't know that I'd put these rights as part of the foundation of how to... No, I would I would put them as part of the foundation, sorry, but I, I don't know exactly how they fit. I don't know if these are like the four pillars of morality that could be part of it. Sometimes when I think about it, I think of um, separating them out, not as pillars, but as d- just different ideas where objective and subjective have their certain elements or need to be taken into account, but then also the uh, the continuum that I was talking about from good to bad needs to be taken to account. But I think a lot of these ideas of whether or not we're going to determine whether something is objectively bad or subjectively uh, bad is going to be based on these rights, going to be based on whether or not these these actions that we're taking into account would in some way infringe upon these rights. So I wanted to put those to you because I think that that's a huge part of it. I think it's part of why we feel like it's so important to have a moral discussion and why we Mm -hmm. feel like these things, something's just wrong because I said so, right? Like some people, there's a really funny example of like, how do you feel when somebody talks about having sex with their sister? And some people are just like, bah! like they puke in their mouth or whatever. And yeah, I say sister because we're two men, but your brother, sister, whatever, like a sibling or a parent, right? right? You just puke in your mouth or whatever. But then there are some people that are like, well, I mean, if you used a condom and you, you know, there was no way to, to have like a genetically, you know, deficient baby or something. I mean, yeah, I, I could see maybe it's possible or, you know, like some 
some people have a little bit of room in their brain for that idea, and then some people are just completely revolt or you know they yeah revolted by it. Revolt. Thank you. Revolted. Yeah, we're, by we're biologically it. revolted by it. We're not supposed to be doing that. <laughs> right. Right. And, right. But some people have a way to like. Well, I can kind of see it, and then some people like literally just no, never, no, right. stop talking. There's no need to even go there. Right. That's right. And I I feel like the same kind of idea, like the same kind of revulsion, has to do with these human rights. Some people recognize them as they must like the it's like the strongest element of their personality right or or a very strong one and then other people are kind of like well i don't know you might be able to argue this way or that or Mm -hmm. and then other people still have a very similar response as the revolt but they it's when they want to break one of those rights so people will say like well yeah you can't uh, everybody has a right to life but if you kill my mom even if you're in jail i want the death penalty or so on something like that so there are these there, there's a lot to take into account when we talk about these rights is all I'm getting Absolutely, that a, no that's absolutely true a, and, a big element culture is almost the biggest one because you find as you go across the planet that people's ideas of human rights radically change based on you know heritage culture history so so we don't all share the same values because you know you go over to a place like China or India and I'm in no way shape or form implying or saying that they're backwards or wrong or in some way like you know missing the boat I'm saying that they are so different from Western culture that their idea of their their very conception of what a human right is 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 just it's almost you know men are from Mars women are from Venus I mean it's almost like that mm-hmm. radically different mm-hmm. and I and it was when I was studying human rights that I, that I found that out and was like oh right you mm-hmm. know when you're when you're in a little tiny place and India is not a little tiny place but it's you know it's not a huge place uh, for the number of people that are in it. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Or you go to a place like China where there are just, you know, millions and billions of these people, you know, in very tiny places, you know, the value of life suddenly changes radically, Mm -hmm. you know, and in Western cultures and and, uh, European cultures, we we value life and we value individuality. Our whole culture is is framed around the the concept of individual rights and personal freedom. Mm -hmm. And India and in China, it's the exact opposite. Their whole cultures are built around the group first and the individuals second mm-hmm. so you're so that's why i say the whole concept of human rights is is really different yeah you know so even that so i'm i'm just reinforcing your argument that or your point that you know yes human rights have to be taken into account as the pillars upon which i agree i think they are the pillars upon which any moral system is mm-hmm. is built but identifying what those rights are mm-hmm. you know human rights tend to be the lowest common denominator of moral thinking they tend to be the lowest most broadly what we consider the most broadly agreed upon most broadly applicable rules or ideas that we have that's why we call them human rights we take the nationality out of it we take the race out of it we take the gender out of it it's just if you're a human this is what's going on Mm -hmm. you know this is what you're entitled to Mm -hmm. again it's 1000 percent purely subjective and it isn't wholly informed by you know time place and, and culture and all that too so so really i'm just agreeing with you, but I'm pointing out just how multi-layered even that one component that you'd think would be a gimme. Mm-hmm. I thought for a long time it was. 
was. You know, Universal Declaration of Human Rights, Eleanor Roosevelt, post-World War II, everybody pretty much agrees with it, except they all don't necessarily agree with it. And when you find out, when you start digging into why, you start finding these cross-cultural differences and you go, oh, I hadn't considered that. Sure. Because I've never been to China. I've never been to India. I've only met a handful of Chinese and Indian people my entire life. Sure. How would I know about what literally over half the world's population has to say about this? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? yeah. we get on our high horse a little bit in the West about how what we think is how the world should run is pretty much how the rest of the world thinks. And it's not. Mm-hmm. So it's so it's it just feeds into the complexity of the of the problem, I think, you know, but I agree with your point that it should be on the list of things. to. Yeah, I agree. And, and I don't know that I would go into say that it's wholly subjective. Um, I think I do think I there know, are objective elements to that. this um, because it's a moral issue. I think that um, I think and I think we agree that there are objective elements to it and subjective. So yeah. I don't know if I would go so far as to say wholly or maybe you misspoke. Or, or what I what I mean by else, that is but... it's all determined by what's going on in our head. The objective reality of a dead body or a live body is simply the objective reality of a dead body or a live body. It doesn't have any moral value connected with it of any kind in the objective world. That's what I'm saying. The value we assign to these things is 1000% in our heads. The reality of the dead body, that's not an opinion. That's not something we assign value to. You know, it's there. It's a dead body, right? Mm -hmm. What we think about it, how did it arrive here, right? Was it, is it dead for a good reason? Is it dead for a bad reason? All of those questions are answered in our heads, not by objective reality. So I only, I'm only, you know, going that far with, with objective reality informs our morality. Yeah, it informs it to the degree that there is a fact. There is an objective fact. Mm -hmm. What you're going to think about it is going to be wholly up to you or your culture or society again at whatever level we're looking at and that's what you know to me that's where that's where the spectrum comes into play so yeah. uh whether or not we're furthering uh happiness uh and what we would consider like the moral good or whether we're causing unnecessary pain and suffering to me that then grounds this idea i don't say i wouldn't say for instance that you determine what's moral in your head i would say that whether or not the outcome of of what what's happening and what you, what role you have to play in it determines whether or not it's moral or immoral based on have you caused more human suffering or have you caused more human flourishing to me that grounds it a little bit so that it's not so well it's just up to whomever and whatever and then also the when you talk about values i like to think about values as um well the way that evolutionary biologists talk about how we evolve these values so i, I don't think that there's any argument that there are species out on the planet that don't have the same kind of values that we have. They didn't evolve them. Uh, there are species that don't have social structures, for instance. They're like lizards, for instance, uh, don't generally live in like big social groups where they nurture their children and, and breastfeed or, sure. or, you know, have, uh, they don't interact with each other. They don't mm-hmm. have an economy, right? It's just my territory and whatever's in my territory, I'm going to eat. That's mm-hmm. the basis of their economy. They're um, not sitting there contemplating Aristotle's, you know. Well, they're like, not really doing a lot yeah, of anything. They're yeah, they're, really they're, they're, they're just kind of, they're just looking for something to eat really right. so so they don't have the same kinds of concerns that we have mm-hmm. and i think our values have evolved into us over the millennia for for a couple different reasons but one of them is that the folks that didn't value these things sort of died out so we sort of see this is one of those issues where the puddle says uh 
uh, wow, it seems to me that the this this puddle that I find myself in is perfectly shaped just for me. It, like it seems like there's an element of design there, where it's sort of the other way around. It's over the millennia, we've sort of lost those that didn't agree with these values and maintained those that do. So it was something that we sort of inherited from our ancestors. And it's interesting to me that we find ourselves in that position because I think a lot of people would, if you if if you were to put the, for instance, the value of their own life, they value their life, and then they would, many people would put that very very high on their list of values. They don't want to die, for instance, or they don't want to be killed. And then the degree to which that they have empathy for others and can extrapolate that to the rest of the world and have compassion is the degree to which they allow others to have that right, right, in their minds. So, in that sense, it's subjective, right? Like, the people then, how how you allow others to have their rights or if you acknowledge other people's rights is subjective, but we see the vast, vast majority of people that do allow others to have rights and recognize, oh, it's not just me. It would be it would be my children, for sure. I want them to live. Uh, my parents, my about, you know, but those are still subjective decisions you're making. Well, certainly there's. I I just don't think that they're wholly subjective in the sense that we weren't molded into that way through natural selection. I think that there is an objective reality out there that has pressure on us in a way that shows that we are the we have the values we have largely, and we can we can show that vast majorities of people share these same values because that was the value order that was most beneficial to the to the furthering of of our species. It was in, there was it's a... Kind of what def, that's kind of the definition of morality. A, there was a, um, yeah, well, right. It plays into it for sure. But I think, I think natural selection and evolution actually demonstrate to some degree how we got there. And, and, you know, it's just something to think about. I, I don't, I always have a hard time when things are wholly subjective because how are you then solving for the objective world? If, if things are wholly subjective, mm-hmm. then you're, it seems to be a claim that the outside world doesn't doesn't factor into it and i think it and that's not that's, that's not what that means at all well then okay well then that's yeah, that's that where i get confused it about it. yeah because it's no if you if you removed all the brains on planet earth yeah right there would be no morality there's no morality right that's what i mean by wholly subjective it okay. exists wholly in the brain well right if you if if the brain's gone if all the brains are gone right if all the people are gone there ain't no morality well then i guess i guess know? i would prefer to say it uh it exists wholly in the the brains subjective means because that. it's not <laughs> that's what the but, word means <laughs> but there are other brains is my point <laughs> i There's know not and just that's your brain and, and so subjective it doesn't just mean your individual brain. in the same way that morality doesn't just apply to an individual right we've shown there's multiple levels well i'm glad we ferreted that little i am glad that we little did too. detail out because yeah. i do think a lot of the times when people say it's subjective they do mean it's up to the individual and i think there is an individual element to subjectivity but when we're talking about things like shared values Yes, there are individuals, right? And they all claim to have these shared values, but there are multitudes of them. So there are objective elements to it in the sense that there isn't a brain outside of your own brain to take into account. Yeah. I'm just wondering, I'm just putting that out there because I do think that people just jump to whatever they, they say subjective, meaning it could just be in my brain, in my head, or each individual has their own completely unique take on it. And I just don't see that in the real world. We don't see that in well, objective let's be, reality. Let's be 
clear that every single individual does have their own individual take on it, and the collective summation of those individual takes are where we find common ground on which we establish this commonality of, of agreement. But but it exists in individual brains yeah, who, who communicate with one another, affect each other's biology, affect each other's, you know, biology, sure. right? Their, their activity. And that's where we find common ground, right? Yeah, between just... between things. But it's all a subjective matter. It's it's not something that exists outside of humans. And that's what the word objective means here. In well, this, right? I'm, Is it's not God that determines morality. That. Yeah, right? yeah. That would be an objective morality, though. Right. If that were the case, then ob- then morality would be objective. Or if some alien species well, was telling us all what to do. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah. you know, we were yeah. all under some, you know, mind control or something from the from the elephants or something. I mean, you know, whatever the thousand mm-hmm. million scenarios you want to come up with are. If if it exists outside of humankind, you know, if it exists in the real quote unquote world outside of us, um, outside of the realm of opinions, I guess I should say, right, or ideas, then you're talking objective reality. When you're talking about subjective, it's, it's what the neurons determine. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. And in the end, every single one of us has our own individual fingerprint, our own individual DNA, and we have our own individual brains that are radically different from one in, one to the next, but they have some that's, more mechanisms. That's where I disagree. You know? I, I think we go too far in the West when we talk about like we're so unique, like individual snowflakes. I think we're much more similar to each other and then we are different. Like you say, we have individual um, well, fingerprints. Yeah, you drill, down to the, you drill down to the details. Yeah, but we right? all have fingerprints. What parts of the Bible do you agree with and what parts do you not, right? What parts of this guy's sermon are you going to take home and actually use in your life and which parts are you not? Mm-hmm. You take 50 people in any sermon and you really interview them for like two hours each and you drill down to every single point the pastor made and and what they agree with and what they don't agree with and how they're going to go about applying that in their life. And you're going to see a degree of individuality expressed across those 50 people that is going to be quite shocking and be quite surprising. If you think that there's, you know, more in common with people than not, I, I would challenge you to do that and see see what you're going to find. On a social level, on a surface level, on the facade level, oh, the pastor's sermon was so great, I can't wait, it's so wonderful, I'm going to be a good person, just like he says. Mm-hmm. And then you drill down to what does that mean? What do you mean you're going to be a good person? Yeah, you know, and you really start checklisting it out. You really start writing down the details of what that means to them, and you're going to find all kinds of variety, you know. And that's what I mean by that is is the is the and sometimes the devil is in the details because you drill down to that level, and then you find out that two people, three people, five people, ten people are walking away from the same sermon or the same fact, whatever you want to call it, sermon facts, whatever movies, mm-hmm. you know, the Bible, whatever the subject is, you really drill down to those details and you're going to you're gonna be really surprised at, at the variety of interpretations, you know, translations, memory, what they, rem- what they even bothered to remember from the thing, you mm-hmm. know, from the movie or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, apparently we remember about 15% of a book that we've read. Sure. You know, you want to remember the whole book, you got to read it eight times. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 
Like yeah. there's there's that, that was my factor. experience in college. Yeah, I had there's to read that things factor. multiple times. I read each chapter probably ten times. That's right. So everybody's takeaway mm-hmm. actually is quite different. Yeah, you know, and we and I just want to make that point because I think it's an important point to make since it's come up here that it's hurting cats. You know, getting mm-hmm. people to agree on principles, sure. and then and then making sure that they really agree on the principles that are on the blackboard it's and funny. not their interpretation of what's on the blackboard. It, it's so funny know? too, because even, even in our experiences, our different experiences. So I've had like, this is something that I do. It, just, this is how I am. Like I invited yeah. you here to have this conversation. Yeah. Right. And, uh, I think it went really well. I I, think I'm really glad that you came and, and I, I always love talking to you. You're, you're one of my favorite people to talk to. <laughs> oh, cool. Thank you. And, um, <laughs> Vice versa. Oh, well, thank you. And, uh, you didn't, even though to... I do get frustrated. Sometimes. No, no, it's, so do I. We always work through it. And yeah, that's yeah. what I appreciate. Yeah. We, so do I, and yeah. and uh, it's it's uh, I didn't. Uh I didn't say that so you'd say it back. I just I, I meant it because we do get to places that are fun, uh, exciting, exhilarating, uh, sometimes frustrating, sometimes mm-hmm. passionate, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes amiable. And, and every once in a while, we have those moments where we're like, man, I just love you. <laughs> and so those are great, right? But in my experience, everybody will, everybody will say, this isn't across, I don't want to make a huge sweeping generalization, but there have been many people that I've talked to that have said, I have a very specific take on this or that or view on life or what's good or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then when you really drill down, you find that they basically agree with everybody. Like, what are the things that you're most looking for in a mate? And then people think, oh, it's it's totally unique. But then when you get down to like, well, what are the things you really, really, really need? And it's like four things. (laughs) Everybody has the same four things. Or you talk about, well, I have my own individual idea, you were talking about God, of what God is and, and, you know, and, and whatever. But then you drill down and it's like almost universally, well, it's an omniscient, omnipresent. I mean, you get to these like sort of classifications or things that they say God is. And yes, there there are a lot of different kinds of gods. So, you have to take that into account, right? Yeah, there's, I mean, Hindus got thousands of them. Yeah, there's some people that think there's monotheists and polytheists and so on. Right. But, but a lot of, for, for sure, the Abrahamic religion has a lot of the same sort of classifiers, even though each individual might say, well, I have my own unique unique version right. or I have my own unique uh, experience with and then you hear the experience and they're so similar. They, they Well, I had, you know, a revelation of this type, of this kind and they give you examples and you're like, well, the, the, you know, listen to the atheist experience. Everybody that calls in has the exact same revelation. It's the, I found my keys or look at the trees or whatever. They give these weird reasons why they believe or whatever and they're so unoriginal that you're just kind of like, well, that was boring. I can't believe I just listened to that whole podcast and they didn't even have anything interesting to say. Now, I'm not saying that you're not right. I, I, I agree with you that that uh, there are a lot of differences. I just think that many of those differences are a lot more superficial and and sort of considered could be considered part of people's personality. You know, like and, and fair enough. I, yeah, yeah, I'm some not people trying are to make quiet. Some, some people are loud. Yeah. Some people, are, but when like you drill down to like the basics, right? Like well, I talk to people that say they don't think or they believe capital punishment is. Uh, a good idea and you, you drill down into what they're actually what they believe and they can't at least in my experience most people can 
can't really get to capital punishment. They have to make an exception. And they even recognize that they're making an exception. They, they don't really think it's okay to kill people in that way. But they're making an exception because it's a personal, well, they killed my mom. So I, now I think, you know what I mean? It's something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a tit for tat equation. Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of uh, commonality, I think. Okay, so that episode didn't really cover as much about human rights as I would have liked uh, it to. We kind of got off topic and we kind of just summarized and, and sort of did a mind walk there with this moral foundation and I got some feedback and so on. So I think it's still a valuable discussion. So I'm going to publish it here and now, but do understand that these ideas about individual rights and if we have them, why we have them, if we can demonstrate with evidence and reason that we have them, if those demonstrations are sound and valid and so on, it's important that we understand what human rights are. And I'm going to dive into that, uh, you know, head first. Now, a couple things I can say just to leave you with some something to hold on to here, human rights wise. I think there's a couple interesting ways to look at human rights. One way is that they're sort of modern day myths. Uh, I've, I've read some books that talk about human rights as agreements that we have between one another that aren't actually valid or sound. They're just agreements. They're just agreements because that's how we as society or we as people want our society to be. So we say, for instance, that we have a right to life and this right is actually a myth. Now, I, I can understand that and I think there's some element of truth to that. I think that we do have to agree on the right to life, for instance, being a right in order for it to be valid in the same way that we have to agree that money is something we can use to exchange goods. It helps, in other words, grease the wheels of commerce. So if we both agree that we have a right to life, well, then we both have now laid out sort of the game that we're playing. And now we have some rules that we can't break. For instance, we can't murder. That would be a rule that we can't break. And we've agreed on that because of the right to life. So that's one way to look at it, but I'd like to try if I can. Now, I'm not sure that I'm going to succeed in this. And so this is very experimental, but I would like to try to demonstrate that we have a right to life using facts. The facts I would like to use are essentially what I've what I've come to understand in my mind and how I'm going to describe them now are moral data sets. So if we're going to try to extrapolate a subjective moral understanding of the world into to an objective data set that we can then generate statistics on, we're going to have to go out and collect that data. So what would that look like? Or what what am I talking about, right? So what that looks like essentially is we would ask, let's say, a population of people, well, do you have a right to life? And if they said yes, we would say, well, why or how? And then they would describe why or how. And here's what they might say. They might say, well, because if I die, that causes great pain and suffering to me. And it ends all of my experience. Now, if we find that the vast, vast majority of people believe this way and think this way and add those answers to a data set, we can then pull probability statistics from that data set. We can say 9.99 out of 10 people agree that they have a right to life and that murdering them would be uh, in violation of that right and would cause them great pain and suffering. Worrying about being murdered because it's, it's an acceptable practice causes great pain and suffering and discomfort. That would be part of a data set that we could say, okay, well, what's the probability then that human beings have a right to life? 
Well, in this case, it would be 0.99999. We would be able to build a probability model based on that. So in that way, we make the subjective experience of people, the fact of the matter that they feel uneasy or unnerved or uncomfortable, that they that they experience suffering when murder is, is something that they have to worry about, when they're very concerned about murder because the society doesn't respect and honor and uphold and allow for a right to life or where there's no way for you to actually claim your right to life because let's be honest and let's be fair these these things the rights that we have aren't necessarily given to us sometimes we have to claim them and the way that we would claim them would be to collect this data and then be that's your voice you're one of the however many people million people in this example who say no i i don't want to be murdered and it it causes me great stress and strain to to have to worry about being murdered all the time so we agree with a probability of 0.99999 that we have this right and that it's a right to life. Now, I get how that is sort of mythical, but how do we incorporate as much of a scientific framework? How do we make the subjective data in our heads as objective as possible? Well, we have to go through the problem of extrapolating that data, putting it into data sets, and then querying that data to determine what is the probability. That's just a, an idea. That's one of the ways that I am trying to formulate one of the ways that I'm trying to put to you, the listener. By the way, if you have something you want to tell me, you can email me at earseductionpodcast at gmail.com. And I'm putting this to you because I want to understand well, maybe where I'm wrong or whatever. I want to try to inspire you to recognize this as a form of evidence for why we have a right to life. Now, it may in fact be more accurate and easier to have this as a common myth that we have a right to life, something that we agree upon in the same way that we have money, for instance, or in the same way that we have a limited liability corporation, which is the example that I got from the book that I read. But it may also be better for us to actually engage with humanity and determine what rights we actually do have based on if we don't have these rights or if we don't claim these rights for ourselves, how much pain and suffering do they cause? If we're, if we're trying to map rights onto a moral framework, it doesn't seem to me to be enough to say, well, they're just myths that we, you know, that we agree on or that we make up and then agree on. It, it makes more sense to me to build in the human element of that framework, build in the pain and suffering or the flourishing that we experience from having those rights as ours to claim. And the way that we would have to do this is as scientifically oriented or minded as possible. So what does that mean? That means we need data. We need data to query. We need things we need data points and facts. It is a fact in this data point in this data set that I just exp explained that, you know, everybody except for one, a one in a million actually doesn't believe that we have this right to life. Everybody else does believe that we have it. And they cite that w without it, we would be very, very worried about being murdered on a regular basis, right? So I think at some on some level, I sort of tried to talk about that in the very beginning of this episode where I talked about how it evolved into us and so on. Um, we didn't really get to a place that was satisfactory where we really dealt with or wrestled with the rights. I think we were sort of at the end of a long day, at the end of a long podcast, and we ended up just trying to make up because we had disagreed a lot during the, the episode. So we did that. And that's, I think, valid too. Well, not just valid, but I think it's beneficial. You as the listener should hear how these types of interactions can occur and still leave as friends. That doesn't always happen. I didn't have that experience with everybody. And so it was really great to have Chris here and to show that that can happen. And we 
can be amiable at the end of such a conversation, even though we did disagree or we sort of volleyed back and forth pretty often. Now, um, again, I'm going to be working with these human rights in much, much more detail in uh, future episodes, season three specifically, and in the book that I'm publishing, The Bible 5.0, Everything You Need to Know to Be Relevant in the Modern World. Uh, I'm not 100% sure on that title, but anyway, Bible 5.0, I'm pretty sure, uh, but the subtitle, I'm not sure. Anyway, I really want to thank you for listening. This has been Ear Seduction.